We want to welcome our audience to the Beyond Borders online event. This special meeting is presented to you by Smith Weekly Research. Our event today features two gentlemen from the accounting tax strategy side of finance and economics. Our event today, uh, both are certified, our guests today are both certified public accountants whose firm offers various accounting tax and finance support services. We appreciate them taking the time with us today and their ideas, insights, strategies, and to tell the audience about their businesses. I am the event host, Andrew Weekly, founder and CEO of Smith Weekly Research. And once again, welcome to the On Beyond Borders special event. Uh, we urge the audience to allocate attention to the on-screen notes here, as well as the event notes under the screen viewer for more important notices and, uh, and details about this event. We further call your attention to the notices on the screen here, uh, re regarding the circular 230 notice as well as to inform the audience that you should seek your own professional advice before we get into our guests today and the meat of the discussion i want to lay out for the audience what they should be considering more so now than ever the beyond border concept that we are outlining with this event what we are seeing today and Global finance from a political, social, and economic perspective is an unprecedented set of experiments that we have not seen in modern times, although many characteristics can be identified in historic examples. One of the best being the history of the rise and decline of the Roman Empire. More symptoms are showing that really point towards social collapse and this growing effort to try out old concepts that are perceived as new, regardless of history telling us that these end ideals lead to a reset of everything. It starts and ends with unsound and sick understanding of economics, which is the problem. So no policies are in place to repair the fiscal issues that exist and nothing is being done to sustain methods that really do work. So instead the ultimate cost and dilution will follow causing the majority of people significant financial stress, most likely, which is also starting to occur at the mainstream level. As wisdom would have you know, sound capital is the means to sustain nearly all components of living in a state of motivated happiness. When you don't have value and you don't bring value, life as, as we know it in modern times can be very, very complex. So financial responsibility and capital respect is in decline, pointing to a collapse of economic security. Things like negative interest rates, dilutions of currency units, abuse of debt, insolvency of state and government institutions, promises that can't be delivered, increasing desires for taxation that punishes hard work, talent development, and motivation to deliver quality in a free market environment. While all systems of government are flawed to some degree, thus reflecting the imperfections of human nature itself, some systems are far less flawed than others. Declining political and social stability are a recipe for severe limitations of not only physical freedoms, but financial freedoms as well. Simply based on the study of history and comparing to similar cases, we don't see these trends reversing in the context of our time horizons. Rather than waiting around for the rug to get jerked out from beneath us, we can still act to make sure our situation is a robust one. So what does this all mean? Well, it means that while you still can, that thought and planning should take place to form a strategy to counter these types of threats in an effort to protect and preserve your own work and efforts which includes the efforts to provide physical and financial security for family and key people you hold critical 
some components of the strategy should include a multiple a multi-jurisdictional presence diversified a diversified asset base controlled in various jurisdictions tax optimization and a plan a a plan b and a plan c exit strategy in the event you have to take direct action so we'll share some limited ideas on the following screens and through our guest discussion to point you in the right direction on this journey. So the idea with Beyond Borders, and it's, it's really, this concept is worth strong consideration. Our goal is to have backups set up with the hope that you never have to use them irrespective of your personal opinions on the issues we face. Being set up and prepared is key. Debating the issues or taking a position doesn't matter when larger important matters are at stake. Our guest today, Jerry Bomey of Bomey and Running CPAs, an accounting tax finance business service provider based in Albany, Oregon. Jerry has been at this business for some time, and he is also the owner of the business that he operates. To put it lightly, Jerry has had a few years in the business. Uh, he spends his time also out of Albany, Oregon, when he is not traveling. Most of Jerry's, Jerry's experience here can be found on the upcoming screens. And our other guest, Vincenzo Villamina of OnlineTaxMan.com and Global Axpad Advisors, a specialized group of services from accounting, tax services, business structuring, and advising. Vincenzo is founder and CEO of the firm, which is based in New York. He spends most of his time out of his company office in Medellin, Colombia, when he is not otherwise traveling as well. More on his experience can be found in the upcoming screens. Um, they both, I've vetted their services. Uh, I've spoken with both of them on multiple occasions and used their services personally and have no reservations about their experience or expertise. They have not paid to present for this event, nor have we paid them to join us. They are here because I believe they bring strong value to a complex area of financial ideas and regulatory compliance, something at some point we all need help with. So with that, uh, Jerry, I'd like to start with you. Can you please uh, give us an introduction of you, your background, and tell us a bit about your firm? Uh, hi, Andrew, thanks for having me here. A uh, little bit about my background. Uh, I studied business administration at Oregon State University. Uh, this was a concentration in accounting and a minor in computer science. Graduated from Oregon State in 1982 and became a CPA in 1985. I worked at the firm uh, until 1999. Uh, then I purchased the firm uh, and have been the sole owner for the last couple of years after a couple of partnerships uh, in between. Just completed my 36th year in public accounting. The firm itself is a, a pretty small by a uh, number of people. There's one other CPA, uh, and I do have five paraprofessionals. The volume we handle is pretty extensive, however. We do about 1,500 individual income tax returns, as well as about 300 entities, uh, such as LLCs, S Corps, trusts, corporations, estates, etc. We also do about 200 payrolls a month uh, and bookkeeping for the clients that uh, that we serviced. Uh, so it's a pretty busy place most of the year. 
Well, thank you, Jerry. Uh, Vincenzo, can you tell us, uh, tell the audience a bit about yourself and also your background and talk about your firms? Sure. No, thank you for having me as well. Um, you know, essentially, I I got into uh, into this uh, about 14 years ago. I mean, I, I went to school in Michigan, and um, you know, essentially, sort of started at at, at Price Waterhouse Coopers, just like um, you know most people on the big four, and and uh, I got to work uh, in a variety of of roles there. Right. I mean, I did some some taxation. I did. Uh, audit and then I did some valuation um, and from there I actually went on did did finance um, and private equity for a few years and then ultimately you know found that it, it wasn't really um, you know, my cup of tea if you will and and, and went back to tax um, first at four corners and then and then founding my own firm online taxman and so um, you know with that uh, independence uh, you know I've essentially decided to you know, have a, a remote firm, um, and in doing so, we specialize in, um, you know, expats and just offshore structuring, right? So, um, you know, Americans that want to live abroad, invest abroad, uh, retire abroad, and, um, you know, doing all the tax planning and, and tax compliance for, for those individuals, as well as people that want to, you know, move to the States or invest in the States as well. So, most of the clients we serve are, you know, have some sort of international flavor uh, to their to their taxes, or like I said, you know, we're sort of helping, you know, getting our hands dirty with, um, you know, offshore structures and and, and trusts and, and all that sort of stuff. And you know, with that, uh, you know, I picked up a few languages: so Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, and English. And you know, like you alluded to, you know, essentially spent time between Medellin, Colombia, New York, and then just traveling uh, other parts of the world. Well, thank you both for the information. Um, I want to get on to some initial conversation here and talk about business setup and establishment, first within mostly the U.S. Jerry, I want to go to you. Uh, can you give us a few key ideas as to why it makes sense for people to have a business for both liability and also cost effectiveness? Well, the U.S., like most of the world, uh, was built with small businesses. Uh, every business started small, obviously. Uh, some have grown to be enormous, uh, and others didn't have any desire really to grow at all. They were really looking to uh, provide income for themselves. Um, the, uh, there's a great variety of reasons to start small businesses. Uh, the first one is, is obviously you can control your own destiny, so to speak, uh, your own income, those types of things. But more so, there's also a great flexibility in time. There's uh, tax advantages that you can uh, that you should be aware of and and can implement. Uh, you can do a very good job of limiting your liabilities and or your debt exposure depending on the structure of your business. Uh, and you know the thing to remember though is that you have to have a business purpose and the intent, according to the IRS, is you have to have an intent to make a profit. Of course, they don't explain what purpose and intent means. Uh, so there's a lot of flexibility for people to be able to use uh, these entities in a lot of their planning. And Vincenzo, uh, any comments there as to why people should have a business structure? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, again, it's, it's you know, like, like Jerry said, I mean, I think it's a matter of, you know, A, formalizing your business, um, you know, B, 
um, sort of looking at what is the purpose of your business and, and what is the optimal structure, right? So whether it's sort of, you know, looking at a, a particular state or even a particular country, you know, I think uh, everyone has to sort of go into it as far as well, what's the purpose of the business? What are the, the goals um, you're trying to accomplish? And then, of course, work with a professional to, um, to, you know, to, to, to accomplish those goals and, 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 and do what the appropriate business structure might be. Now, Vincenzo, I want to ask you a little bit about U.S. state jurisdictions for starting a business. What do you see as some of your favorite states to, to fire up a business in the U.S.? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, first, it, it does sort of depend on, you know, where um, your business is located, right? So, for example, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're living in New York and that's sort of the, the predominant location of the business, then, you know, of course, New York um, would be a place to start it. But if you had the flexibility or if, let's say you had a business across multiple states, um, then the a couple of the ideal states that we generally operate in are uh, Delaware, right, which is sort of the, the, the classic place where, you know, it's a very business-friendly state, uh, zero tax rate, et cetera. Um, and Wyoming, Wyoming's kind of come up as, as, as another, um, uh, very business friendly state, um, has less fees and actually it's a little bit easier to open, uh, than Delaware. Um, another, another state that we look at, um, uh, for secrecy and the ability to, um, it's a little harder to subpoena in that state is Nevada. Um, Nevada has higher fees. Um, but again, you know, really depending on the person's needs, those are sort of the, the, the top three states. I mean, there, there's some other ones that we've worked with before, but I'd say those are the top three. And then the other thing to note is that um, if, you know, again, you, you, you do a business across multiple states, then, you know, regardless of where you open up as a jurisdiction, uh, you would still have to apply uh, as a foreign company doing business in each, each state. So if you have a Delaware company and you're doing business in California, let's say, you have to apply as a foreign company, meaning Delaware, uh, doing business in California. Right, and and Jerry, uh, what are your thoughts on, on US state jurisdictions to house a business? Well, uh, you know, a lot of these, and, and Vincenzo mentioned um, a lot of the states that are friendly to the individual taxpayers are ones that have uh, resources from other places. You mentioned Wyoming. There's a lot of oil revenue that comes through Wyoming. Therefore, it tends to be friendlier to the individual or the small businesses. And I think that, that those are things that uh, are very important when you go to look at it. When you've got tourism and those kind of things as your, as your number one source of revenue for the state, they're going to hit uh, the individual taxpayer significantly harder. And, and you see that in, in California and a lot of those places. Uh, but if they have outside revenue, Nevada has the gambling, uh, uh, Wyoming has the oil, uh, they tend to be friendlier for the small business guy. Outside of the U.S., Vincenzo, uh, what jurisdictions do you favor today for setting up a business? And what are the reasons you see for doing so, even for people that spend most of their time, even in the United States or in their home country? I'm sorry, so what was the question again? Outside of the U.S., what jurisdictions do you like uh, for setting up a business, and what are the reasons you see for doing so, uh, even for people who might even still spend a lot of their time in their home country? 
Outside the U.S., um, you know, again, it, it depends on, on what the needs, but some of the, some of the, the big countries that we look at are obviously the ones that have low tax or no tax um, that um, we could easily uh, set up banking for. So um, even though it's a little shaky, Hong Kong um, is one, one place that, you know, is an international financial hub. Um, you know, they have really good banking there. Um, you know, even if you set up in Hong Kong, you could potentially get a bank account in Singapore or other places. Um, Singapore we like as well, but it's a little more complicated, a little more costly. Um, in, in Europe, uh, we look to a place like Malta or Luxembourg. Um, but again, um, you know, Europe is, is also costlier, so it depends on sort of where you're doing business. You know, what are your, if you're, what are your banking needs? What are your credit card processing needs? Um, and then sort of going to uh, this side of the world, um, you know, some of the island countries like uh, BVI um, are good for, again, setting up a business. If, if you're looking for asset protection, then, you know, we look to Nevis or Belize or, or Cook Island. So, you know, the point is really is there's no cookie cutter approach to, 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 to any of this, um, you know, domestic or international, right? It really depends on your needs and your specific situation. Um, and yeah, ultimately, what are you trying to accomplish? What are your goals? Right, and and I would add Panama to that list as well as is for for one more for people to consider. Now, Jerry, mm. what have you found to be the most important reasons for U.S. people overseas to ensure they have their own international business? Well, the the problem in the U.S. is obviously you're inundated with red tape. You know, the IRS code, I believe it's twenty six hundred plus pages now over a million dollars long um you know once once you've got a business you've got to figure out how to comply with all the regulations and code sections um you know and and that's at the federal level not talking at all about the state levels that we've mentioned earlier um the taxes in the u.s on top of that you know they hit businesses in a variety of ways there's you know you get hit with the income tax sales tax business and use or business and occupation taxes real estate occupancy tax uh individuals with the estate social security taxes you know the list just never seems to end as far as the way they're trying to uh uh part you from your money um, obviously this list isn't complete there there's a number of other taxes that go with that and um, I think that's that's one of the reasons why you see so many people now looking to uh, to open up and do business overseas and Vincenzo what what do you see uh, for people considering banking relationships outside of their home country. Highlight some of the key reasons why people would look at that and also what jurisdictions would be a consideration for more sound banking. Yeah, I mean, for, for banking, it's, it's again, it's, it's, well, first off, banking has become uh, increasingly more difficult um, over the, the, the years. And so um, depending on what jurisdiction you open in um, will also reflect sort of uh, you know, where you might be banking at. And what I mean by that is, you know, again, if you if you open up in Hong Kong, then you, you'll probably be able to get a, a bank account easier in, in Hong Kong or Singapore, et cetera. Whereas if you were to, um, you know, come with like a Belize company to Hong Kong, they'd probably, you know, look at you funny and ask you where Belize is, right? So it, it sort of depends on on where you're, 
you know, what your ultimate goal is. Um, you know, for example, I mean, there's places in, um, you know, we, we open up bank accounts, um, you know, just for holding money in the Cook Islands. But that's, you know, let's say not the ideal um, location for operating a business and, 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 and doing a lot of transaction work sort of, you know, day in, day out. Um, so, again, it, it, it does depend on, on, on what your goals are. Um, and ultimately, um, just also be prepared for, for a lot of paperwork. Um, you know, the KYC, which means know your client, um, regulations and, and, and process, um, takes a long time these days. And when I say a long time, you know, could it be anywhere from uh, a few weeks to a few months to you know, even six plus months. And so, um, you know, of course, like I said, you know, banking is, is, is becoming increasingly, increasingly harder. It's not, uh, you know, it's not sort of as secretive as, as it used to be. Um, but of course, again, it depends on um, potentially what you might, um, where you might be opening from an asset protection standpoint, uh, among other factors. Right, and I I certainly agree. It's 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 less and less attractive these days. There there are still a few good places and a few good banks out there for international purposes. Uh, you know, certainly I would. You're absolutely right about Belize. Uh, a lot of challenges there. Uh, you know, a place like Saint Lucia is 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 also a, a good option for people to consider too. That that is uh, reasonable. You can of course go back to the kind of the good old studies like the Caymans in Bermuda and British Virgin Islands. Um, so there's certainly some some options there. Now, Jerry, can you speak of U.S. filing requirements for U.S. citizens that need to comply with regarding financial accounts? Can you kind of speak to some of the international requirements there if you have something outside the U.S.? Well, there's, there's a, you know, once again, the, the U.S. is going to get involved in everything they can. And uh, they try to make sure that, that you are self-reporting. For the individual, there there are reports, uh, and I'll, I'll abbreviate them. There's an FBAR, there's FinCEN, there's those types of reports that, that the government wants. Uh, the U.S. the U.S. itself is a self-reporting um, uh, taxation, so they depend on you to to report your own uh, business, so to speak. The issue there is that they have severe penalties that they like to throw on there. Uh, so if you don't comply, uh, they will basically face you down and, and uh, create um, a lot of headaches for you if you don't comply with uh, things that they would like you to do. And Jerry, what have you found to be the most understood unknown method? Um, to reduce your tax liabilities within the U.S. and maybe even outside the U.S. Can you share with, with us at least, give us one idea if you can and some details here for the audience on how you found to be some some misunderstand methods that really do work? Well, there's there's a lot of things that uh, that, that people can do. Um, the, the choice of entity is really important and, and I'd like to just circle back with what Vincenzo said uh, a couple of times is that there's no cookie cutter for this for anybody. It's, it's really important that you take and you're able to uh, to do your groundwork with the professionals that you're working with to come up with a uh, with a program that works for you. Uh, if you're taking something off the shelf, 
uh, most of the time you're going to end up with with some headaches with it. Um, so circling back, uh, there's a, there's a number of entities that that have some tax favored um, individuals. Uh, I like businesses uh, in an S corporation in the U.S. I think that there's some some very good advantages to being able to uh, draw a salary um, from that business, take uh, distributions, and and uh, control what some of your your tax liabilities are there. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people like um, LLCs because they're easy to set up. Uh, what we've seen is a lot of LLCs that have then been taxed as S corporations, and I think that has a lot of merit. Um, but I really like uh, the ability to, once again, if you've got a business purpose, uh, to be able to run those expenses and really control, to a certain degree, the the U.S. tax liabilities that are associated with them. Now, Vincenzo, I want to ask you, uh, same to you, what, what strategy is one of your favorites to reduce tax liability uh, if you are someone living and working in the U.S.? Um, I mean, I think Terry nailed it uh, with the with the S corp. Um, I think the S corp is 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 a big a big one for people that um, are are uh, you know have their own business, if you will. Now within the S corp, um, you know, there's a few sort of underlying strategies, right? Like uh, you know, putting a solar 401k together. Um, there's even something called a defined benefit profit sharing plan, which allows people and I've seen you know clients literally um, put away you know hundreds of thousands of dollars um, into a basically a retirement plan um, via their their S Corp um, there's there's um, other sort of I mean that you could do land easements uh, if you're in the United States where you you buy parkland and you donate it um, and then that could be a big charitable contribution so it kind of depends on your on, on one situation, uh, meaning if they're you know uh, a contractor or if they have their own business or or, or W two if you will, um, especially in the United States, to yeah to optimize. Okay, and uh, switching gears over to the compensation. I'm sorry, competition of states. Vincenzo, can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the kind of the most burdensome states in the U.S. from a tax standpoint? If a person and if a person was seeking to reduce their state tax exposure, what one state would you recommend they consider? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I think a lot of people, and you see this, right? I mean, you, you see this a lot now, where a lot of people are moving out of, you know, the New Yorks and the and and, and the Californias. Um, to, to no tax states, right? So you have, um, you know, essentially Nevada, uh, Texas, and Florida are sort of the biggest and most popular no tax states. And so, um, you know, I see a lot of people that, that are moving to those, those states from high tax states. And, you know, when I say move, you know, you really have to sort of show that you're, you're cutting ties with your former states. Um, so now they're selling a house or, or, or a business, um, and more importantly, showing that you're reestablishing your ties with this new state, meaning uh, voter registration, uh, driver's license, being able to show that your, your doctors are there, you know, your religious organizations or your, your community memberships are located uh, within this new state. I mean, you know, we've gone as far as um, you know, having somebody sort of take a picture in front of their uh, moving van 
um, you know, as of the with, with the with the daily paper in front of it to say, hey, as of this date, you know, I officially moved to Florida. Let's say, um, and yeah, like I said, I mean, these states are greedy. I mean, I see California all the time, um, you know, sending out letters to people trying to, you know, trying to get their 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 tax income because uh, I mean, they're broke, right? And they're just being desperate. Um, and yeah, like I said, I mean, I think it's you know, if you cross your T's and you dot your I's and you do it the right way, you can 100% um, you know, get out of tax taxation in, in some of these high tax states. Right. And yeah, a lot of good points there. Um, and, you know, also, you know, whether you're leaving, if you have a mobile job that is mobile or if you can become a, a contractor consultant to your, your former uh, employee or whatever it might be or employer. Um, and of course, presenting that case uh, is is really a key piece of of that whole process. Jerry, how about you? Do you have any comments to add or a favorite state? Uh, no, I mean the the states are the states that uh, that are going to be lower taxed. Uh, the The documentation is just absolutely critical. Uh, for that reason, and I had a client that that moved out of Oregon and and tried to set up in Nevada, and and they went back after his cell phone bills and said, "Hey, your usage is still on these days in Oregon, and we are going to go ahead and tax you anyway as an Oregon resident." And because he just didn't have all of the documentation set up that he needed to have done, and so if if you're going to make that move, and I think you see a lot of people that are doing that exact thing. Um, you got to make sure that that you have uh, have done your documentation and your due diligence. And, and uh, you know, I tell people, why would you live in Palm Springs when you could live in Henderson, Nevada? I mean, you know, uh, you're, you're going to save 10 percent of your tax bill. Uh, the other thing I also see is there's a lot of cities around the country that will add on their own taxation as well. New York City, obviously, is the obvious one. Uh, but people are moving out of those areas. Uh, because they don't believe that the dollars that are collected are, are spent wisely or, or whatever. And so they're going to places where taxes are reduced. Yep, absolutely. Key points. And uh, there's no doubt they're getting more and more desperate as the days and months and years wear on. Well, let's move over to investment tax efficiency. With regards to real estate, Jerry, what strategy would you hi highlight for the audience regarding capital gains on real estate, both internationally and also domestically in the U.S.? Well, it's it's been proven uh, year after year after year for decades and centuries that that real estate is a proven way to grow wealth. And uh, the reason that that so many people use it, um, at least I mean, the majority of it in the U.S. is because U.S. tax laws does have uh, uh, great favoritism towards um, towards real estate. And, uh, you know, my belief is everybody should have a small business. They should be a farmer or they should own real estate. And it's because of the um, the tax codes and, and what is allowed with this. You, you can take deductions against current income if it's a rental property. Um, they allow you to depreciate, take your mortgage interest, those kind of things. So you're paying down your mortgage with someone else's money while your uh, appreciation is happening. Uh, if you decide to sell, you can enter into a, uh, a 1031 exchange to be able to defer that and, and upgrade your property to something. Maybe it's a location that you want that's better. It, perhaps it is instead of a, an apartment complex, it's better farmland. All of that is, is tax favored in the U.S. Um, 
And then, and then obviously there's, there's pitfalls to all of these things, which is why you need to certainly have a knowledgeable professional uh, to help you work through this. Um, you know, the, the, the real estate ownership itself is great. If you have a tolerance for tenants, uh, you can you can certainly make a lot of money um, owning and trading and, and buying real estate. Uh, and this isn't just in the U.S. that, that a lot of this applies to. Um, capital gains is going to be the same no matter where in the world because U.S. taxes globally your income. Uh, so, so that's one of the caveats that you have to be aware of is that um, the U.S. does tax global income. And if if you're a U.S. citizen, if you have a property that you sold in uh, Spain, you are going to get taxed in the U.S. on it. So uh, there are some things that you can use, and I think we get into that a little bit later, uh, to be able to hope mitigate some of that, but uh, something to be aware of. Well, it sounds, sounds like Vincenzo is uh, working on upgrading his piece of real estate with the background noise that I'm hearing there. So it looks like got a new investment going right now. Vincenzo, any, any points yeah. to add to what Jerry said? Um, yeah, no, I, I'd agree with Jerry. Um, you know, again, I think the 1031 exchange is great. Um, that's something that you could do both in the United States and abroad, um, meaning that, you know, you could you could sell one property in the United States and, and, and then, you know, buy a new property uh, within 180 days in the U.S., or you can also do that abroad. However, you can't do from U.S. to foreign or foreign to the United States. So you can, you know, hold the property in Panama, sell it, and buy a property in Colombia um, within a 180-day period, but you cannot, you know, sell that property in Panama and buy it um, in, uh, you know, in the United States. So, um, and uh, yeah, and, and also piggyback off Jerry's other points. I mean, he's right. If you're, if you, no matter where you have your property around around the world, it is still subject to U.S. taxation. Um, you still have to report, you know, your real estate. Uh, your rental income, um, you still have to report if you did do a capital gain now, you, you might be able to take a foreign tax credit um, on the uh, on the sale if you pay tax in another jurisdiction, but you would have to report it. How about the use of a business entity to have, um, what are the key advantages here? And let's speak to maybe a foreign entity. Uh, if you have capital gains uh, through that foreign entity on an investment, can you eliminate certain taxes given you've left the gains within that company? Um, not capital gains. I mean, there, there's ways to use foreign entities to sort of structure uh, wisely for, um, you know, for an active business. Um, but capital gains or, or any sort of passive income, you know, if you use a foreign entity, there's no, there's no tax advantage per se. Um, you know, there's advantages with, asset protection and and probate and other other ways but not 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 actually um uh for 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 optimizing your tax situation if you will right and and jerry let me ask you uh, what are your thoughts on and i know you've mentioned a few points before what are your thoughts on using a business to house your investments is it really the only way to go well, I, I think that there's certainly some great advantages to, to doing it. Um, uh, you know, the thing that you need to be careful of is is the type of entity that you select. Um, within the U.S., obviously, uh, partnerships, LLCs, S-Corps are all what's considered pass-through entities. And, and so you don't pay a tax 
on the company income that flows through to the individual and they're taxed at that level. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of LLCs to own real property because of the limits of liability and the flexibility of, of distributions that can be involved. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the S Corp for uh, businesses uh, because of some of the savings that can be involved there. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of the C Corps just because uh, ultimately at some point it's going to be double taxed. And, uh, you know, we pay enough as it is and, and putting yourself in that kind of situation just doesn't make sense. Okay, Vincenzo, how about from an individual standpoint, uh, maybe an individual investor standpoint, what is a key strategy that an individual investor should use to help offset their tax bill? Um, from an individual investor standpoint, um, you know, again, I, I think it's, it's uh, from a passive income perspective, um, there's not a lot you could do other than, of course, you know, the 1031 exchange uh, that was already discussed. Um, you know, maybe also sort of harvesting uh, your gains or losses of so tax harvesting, meaning that you essentially time them, um, you know, within the, the tax year, um, so to speak. And I mean, we do a lot of uh, we do a lot of planning again on the international side um, where, you know, we might put assets in the name of a, uh, a non-resident alien spouse um, or even, a, you know, a, a family member, a confidant that, again, is not a U.S. citizen or fiscal resident, um, because, you know, by doing so, it, it doesn't fall under the U.S. tax net. Right. I mean, if you're if you if you're married to a non-American and, and, and they're, they don't live in the United States, they don't have a green card or anything. Um, you know, again, you can't put assets in that person's name uh, and then those assets are not reportable uh, to the U.S. government or is the income. And that's a, a very, uh, you know, efficient way to tax plan. Of course, you want to, you know, trust your spouse. But if you have that uh, figured out, then, yeah, then you're, you're, you're more than uh, fine doing that. And Jerry, is there another key strategy you want to mention on the subject of real estate, maybe stock gains or any of that? Well, the one thing with real estate is I, I want to make sure that the 1031 we've been talking to, and, and in my opinion, real estate is just a, a fabulous investment. 1031 is only available to real estate. Uh, like kind exchanges right. is the code. You can't do that with stocks. You can't do that with precious metals or anything else. Those aren't considered like kind. So I just want to make sure and clarify that. Um, if you're running your investments through an entity, say you've got an, an LLC that you got your investments through um, or an S Corp, something along those lines. The biggest thing is, is that uh, don't miss deductions. Um, you know, the IRS is never going to come back to you and say, hey, Mr. Taxpayer, you should have deducted these expenses. Um, they don't do that. And so uh, the top line is going to be pretty easy for them to tie out because of the document documentation you receive. Uh, here's what your sales were. Here's what your dividends were or whatever on the investments. Um, but you want to make sure that you got, uh, you know, your um, on basis that you have all the fees that went into buying and or selling those uh, those investments. Make sure you capture all of those types of things. Uh, and, and that's certainly going to go a long way to help you reduce that tax liability. Well, let's talk about precious metals uh, for a moment, such as gold and also collectible items uh, that are a store of value. Uh, Jerry, could you highlight for us maybe some of the tax and reporting ramifications of holding these instruments? Well, the, the gold and the precious metals, uh, that's 
a very overlooked part of investing. A lot of people just don't think of those as an investment tool, uh, mainly because they don't create any dividend. There's no, uh, there's nothing in that regard that they can get. Um, and uh, so, so they really dismiss it as an investment. But, but I believe that it, you know, truly diversified investors are going to take advantage of of gold, silver, uh, platinum, whatever the the investment is there's a number of ways to hold it the difficulty becomes that record keeping and your documentation once again you've got to prove to the irs that you bought it at x and you sold it at y um they have no way of knowing with a lot of these precious metals um you know what you pay they can't track it and the government uh does not like um investments that they cannot track. So I, I think that there is a, a lot of merit uh, to holding it. Uh, the issue that I have with gold, especially if you're going to hold gold yourself, is the value of it. You're not going to take it down to the grocery store and buy a loaf of bread with a, a one ounce coin. Um, silver and some of the other ones are at a lower denomination. So there's, there's a little more flexibility. Uh, but once again, I really believe in the diversification of those kinds of investments. Right. No, certainly, and uh, certainly worth something to look at. And and the the wealth protection side of that, even though it may not pay a coupon, is uh, is really uh, next to nothing uh, still today. Even though there's been attempts by other methods and vehicles to try to compete. Now, yep. uh, Vincenzo, comments on gold as a store of value, and what is one of your favorite vehicles for doing so? Is it a storage service, a physical holding in your possession? What are your thoughts on gold and and some of the associated reporting? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree with Jerry. I mean, I think gold is, is a great asset press class. I think it, you know, hedges uh, some other, you know, currency risk, et cetera, and and and, and should be a part of, uh, you know, anyone's portfolio, um, you know, at some level. Um, now, you know, a few things that, that people might not realize about gold is one, um, it is it's taxed as a collectible, right? Which means it's not if, we, if you buy and sell gold, it's actually taxed at a 28%, I believe, which is a collectible, um, which is different than uh, normal capital gains tax rates. Uh, Jerry also had a really good point about about the um, uh, sort of record keeping. Um, I think that is important because if you don't keep good records, then the IRS will just automatically assume that your cost basis is zero. And so you will obviously, which of course, you know, no one gets gold for zero, but if you, they don't have, if you don't have records otherwise, then they will just assume that. Um, and then, and then finally, um, to your question about storage, um, depending on how you store golds will also depend on whether you would need to report just owning gold to the IRS, right? So if you have gold in a safe deposit box or a foreign storage facility in which you do not have the key, then that gold is not reportable, uh, to the IRS. Um, whereas if you own gold in a foreign financial account, like a gold money or Perth Mint, then that gold is reportable to the IRS. Um, so, you know, again, to, to sort of go back to, 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 to uh, what was said prior, you know, the U.S. does have very strict um, reporting requirements for any sort of foreign bank accounts or foreign uh, financial assets, right? So if you have bank accounts, if you own stock in foreign companies, all this thing, all this stuff really needs to be reported to the IRS. Now, there, there are different thresholds, um, et cetera. But 
you know, for those who don't want to report all of their um, overseas investments, then, you know, really gold is, is, is one of the main ones that uh, you don't have to report. Uh, the other ones being any other sort of collectibles. Um, you know, I mentioned if you have assets in a foreign spouse, that's not reportable. And then finally, um, foreign real estate in your name is not reportable to the IRS. Now, of course, you had have to report uh, any income that you earn from foreign real estate, but if you just own a house somewhere, that's not reportable. So uh, gold, again, is is, is a great asset, and, and it's also nice to, uh, um, you know, have something that the government doesn't necessarily have to know about if it's, uh, you know, the appropriate circumstances. Now, now, does the, uh, if you have it in your physical possession, uh, how does how does that count? Not reportable? Yeah, it's not reportable. Okay. And, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's key there. I mean, when in doubt, when in doubt, uh, we always like to advocate report. And uh, if of you course. do that, you're taking the safe way uh, because the, the consequences, if you don't, are just too great to take the risk. So always report. Um, that's, that's a, a better thing to do. And of course, find people like yourselves uh, to get uh, good advice to make sure you're doing it right. Um, now I'd like to add a comment here for the audience. I would suggest the audience take a look at a service called Silver Boolean based in Singapore. Uh, we've not been paid to promote this business. However, we are a big fan of the services they provide and how they provide it. Um, we do use the service. Uh, basically, you can uh, purchase and store metals at a very reasonable cost. Uh, the storage fees are based on weight, not value, which is fantastic. And then also, you can borrow and lend on your holdings and earn earn enough of an interest rate to actually pay for your fees. And so it's really a fantastic service. It's fully insured. It's based in a good jurisdiction being in Singapore. Um, there's just everything about it is fantastic. Photos of, of your uh, your parcels and the whole the whole mess is really just fantastic. So I, I'd recommend the audience take a look at that. Uh, well, let's move on to another topic, guys. Uh, Moving on to favorable tax jurisdictions internationally, uh, I think we touched on this earlier a little bit, but Vincenzo, can you uh, tell the audience about tax advantages, about living and having a business specifically in the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico? Sure. Um, so, yeah, there, there, there are a lot of advantages of, of, of moving both abroad and, and to Puerto Rico. Um, Puerto Rico does offer... Um, I would say the biggest advantage, even over moving abroad in, in some aspects, um, because A, there's no capital gains tax. So if you are a stock trader, um, and this is where you see a lot of hedge funds and, and financial services firms uh, based out of there, because again, if you're, if you're trading stock, um, Puerto Rico is the only place as an American where you could move and, and, and not pay capital gains tax. Um, so that's a huge advantage that that's uh, unparalleled and not offered anywhere else. Uh, on top of that, um, if you are an entrepreneur or a businessman and you set up a company in Puerto Rico and you're outsourcing services to the United States or, or anywhere really, um, you know, in the forms of uh, you know, whether it's marketing, accounting, what what have you, um, if you're outsourcing services and you um, hire a couple of local people. You know, you donate to a Puerto Rican charity. Um, you essentially show that your base is in Puerto Rico, right? And, and by showing your base in Puerto Rico, you need to be spending over 183 days in Puerto Rico. Um, so assuming that you 
fulfill all the requirements um, of being a Puerto Rican tax resident and opening up this company there, et cetera, um, then you would earn 4% tax on, on that jurisdiction um, or on that, on that income of the company. Um, you would pay yourself a, uh, a reasonable salary, which is you know, pretty much in line with market standards. It's, it's sort of the same uh, rules as, as, as paying yourself a reasonable salary uh, for an S-Corp. Um, that salary, of course, is, is fully taxed. Um, you know, you would pay Social Security, et cetera, on that. However, anything um, over that amount, right, um, would be, would be uh, you could take as a dividend from the company, uh, and that would be tax-free. So, so to give an example, let's say um, somebody, you know, is, has a company, they're earning, uh, you know, $200,000. Uh, that two and 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 of that two hundred thousand, they're let's say taking a a sixty thousand dollars salary. Um, so that sixty thousand dollars salary again is is fully taxed. Um, but the one hundred and forty thousand um, would be essentially a dividend um, that would be taxed at zero. Although you know, don't forget that that one hundred forty thousand dollars net would be subject to a four percent corporate tax. But then you could take the that that money out of the company. And again, that would be tax-free. So, you know, even compared to some of the other offshore structures uh, that we've done, where we could get a, uh, an effective tax rate of ten and a half percent, the Puerto Rico um, tax scheme is, is 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 a lot more advantageous. Now, of course, you know, there's other things you need to consider, like okay, the cost of living in Puerto Rico might be higher than you know living in in in, in another country, especially in you know, sort of looking at South America or parts of Asia or even Europe. So that's one thing. Or, you know, the fact that you you do have to commit to living in Puerto Rico for, for over half the year. Um, but, um, you know, if you were to analyze your situation and, and, and look at these factors, yeah, Puerto Rico would certainly be a, a great place to look. And, of course, right. you don't have to, um, you know, get any sort of residency. It's a U.S. territory. Um, so, of course, if you have U.S. passport, you can live there you know, green card holders, et cetera. Right. No, it certainly is attractive, even though, I mean, even even with the, the, the understanding that every now and again, you'll be slapped with a hurricane, but nonetheless, it's still very attractive, uh, that whole scenario and, and how that continues to be a prevailing option. Now, on mm. those same sorts of lines, uh, Vincenzo, let's say I'm sitting on capital gains from investments in the markets, and I want to redeploy that capital. How can opportunity zones help me achieve this tax advantage? Yeah, so opportunity zones, um, you know, again, when you, you talked about personal investing before, it was, it was a good point to bring up. But, uh, you know, essentially, if you have if you're sitting on capital gains and, and you sell, you know, whether it's stock or real estate, um, you can roll over uh, those capital gains into an opportunity zone. Um, and these, these opportunity zones are around the United States. Um, nearly the whole island of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone, which is interesting. But um, you can roll your, your capital gains um, within 180 days into an opportunity zone. And if you keep it in the opportunity zone uh, for up to 10 years, uh, then that capital gain is deferred and then the opportunity zone if you sell that uh, opportunity zone investment 
then the capital gain from the opportunity zone is tax-free. And so um, we see a lot of people that are investing in real estate opportunity zones, that are investing in opportunity zone businesses. And so by keeping um, your, your capital gain opportunity zone, one, the capital gain from the opportunity zone is tax-free, two, your original capital gain is essentially deferred for 10 years, so you sort of have the time value of money there. And then number three, um, I think it's after year eight, your capital gain um, on the original investment is actually reduced by 15%. So uh, the opportunity zones were created by the Trump tax plan to essentially encourage investment in areas that um, you know might need uh, a little bit of uh, you know a, a, an economic boost. Um, and you know that that's essentially the point now. The interesting part is like, you know, everything in politics, there was a, a level of gerrymandering um, and, and, and sort of, uh, you know, rigging, if you will. So there are areas that are, you know, truly need of help. And some opportunity zones um, are generally, you know, pretty decent areas um, that, you know, due to, you know, political clout, if you will, um, war named opportunity zones. So again, Puerto Rico is a, whole, is a whole island. Essentially, there's a small sliver that's not. Um, but Puerto Rico is essentially an opportunity zone. Um, I've seen it in, in parts of uh, New York, like Long Island City, that are opportunity zones. That shouldn't be. Um, by Aventura Mall and, and Miami is, is deemed opportunity zone, which is a decent area. So, you know, there are even areas that, that, that are deemed opportunity zones that maybe shouldn't have been or sort of questionable. But again, I mean, I think... There's a lot, a lot of opportunity and a lot of uh, potential advantages to seek out uh, in, in rolling over your capital gains into these opportunity zones and, and their associated projects. So is there is there uh, let's let's assume I have capital gains and say stock investments. Uh, can I take those cap gains and roll those over into an uh, opportunity zone? Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, certainly another attractive option. Um, now, moving on here, uh, Jerry, please. Please share with us, the audience, uh, first of all, any comments you might have on what we just discussed. And then also, can you share with the audience uh, maybe a, an international jurisdiction or two that you like, not only for living, but has a favorable tax policy when you have wealth that's generated outside of that country? Well, I think that uh, with the Opportunity Zone, uh, first of all, who would have thought that taxes had anything to do with politics? Um, but but the tax codes in the U.S. are every bit as much about social molding as it is about tax collection. And and people don't realize that. And I think that the Opportunity Zone is, is certainly an example of that. Um, my suggestion there is if you're interested in that, get on it sooner than later, because I think that you're going to see uh, technical corrections acts and tweaks and those kinds of things uh, over the next couple of years that, that perhaps is going to limit um, some of the uh, value that is there when it first came out. So that's just uh, that's just an outside observation. Um, I, I think that uh, like a lot of things, there, there is going to be some tweaks to that. And the way it is written now is very, very good for taxpayers. So 
Um, I think going kind of shifting gears to the foreign, I think we hit on a lot of the foreign countries that are that are good and and uh, work well. It, it it seems to me that you've got the the old standards that that are good that have been around a long time that uh, create a lot of their country's wealth because of the way they allow investing in their countries. And then I think a lot of the emerging countries that that maybe don't have the uh, sophistication. Um, it's easier to move. I've got clients in Vietnam and, and boy, the tax rates there are minuscule compared to what uh, my clients pay in the U.S. And uh, so, I, so I think that a lot of the a lot of the countries we've already talked about, um, you know, the Belize and, and those types, obviously a lot of the uh, Caribbean countries, um, you know, those are good places to look. Right, and you know, absolutely. There's there's a number of countries that uh, that that welcome foreign folks to come into the country, get residency, and they have they have uh, they don't levy tax on your income generated outside of their country. They don't levy tax on that. So it's it's really, uh, in a lot of cases, fantastic. I mean, you know, look at Central and South America. There's a number of countries that offer that. Uh, you know, Panama is certainly one of them. Uh, Nicaragua is also one of them. I believe Colombia is as well. Um, so I yeah I think that's that's key there. Um, now Jerry, can you can you just speak a little bit more about from a tax perspective? Can you kind of tell the audience about some of the filing requirements they would have if they're living full time outside of the United States? Tell some of the highlight items that people can look forward to if they're living outside, like the foreign earned income exclusion. So so basically, there's um, the, there's a couple of things that they look at. Um, one one just kind of is they don't allow the double taxation just like states don't allow a double taxation. So if you pay tax in a country, um, say, say Vietnam, you will then be able to take that as a credit on the income to the U.S. so that you're not going to get, well, you're not going to get double taxed on those dollars. That doesn't mean the rates are going to be the same, however. So if, if you are in a country that levies a 5% tax and you'd pay 25 in the U.S., you get a credit for that 5%, still have to pay the balance of that to the U.S. Um, so there is the, um, the foreign tax credit. Uh, that is good not only for, for expats and people living overseas, but obviously that's investments with companies in the U.S. that uh, say you own um, BP or something like that, that that generates a foreign tax on their dividends. You can take that as well against your, your uh, current taxes. Um, the, the foreign employer compensation deduction, uh, basically any earned income that you have uh, that is earned overseas uh, up to 100 and it's almost 106,000 for 2019 is excludable from your federal tax in the U.S. Um, the key there is it's got to be earned. And then there's a number of other uh, regulations that you have to qualify. Qualify. You actually have to have lived there um, or, or been out of the U.S. for 330 uh, days in a given 12-month period um, and, and some other requirements there that you have to have. There's also, uh, depending on what your investments are, I mentioned earlier, the FBAR, the FinCENs, those are all reporting requirements that, that you potentially would have uh, living overseas uh, when you file your U.S. return. Now, Vincenzo, uh, tell the audience about uh, who might not be familiar, international revocable trusts and irrevocable trusts. Can you tell us about these vehicles, maybe a jurisdiction or two you like for these, and what high-level advantages do they have? 
Sure. Um, so irrevocable trust essentially is when you are giving up your assets uh, into a, a, a trust, a foreign trust, if you will. Um, and, and what that means is that you, you no longer um, have access to these assets. So you no longer have a right um, to, to those assets, which, which is a very um, you know, difficult concept uh, for people to understand or grab, right? Because obviously these are assets that you've you know, worked your whole life for um, and you are putting it into a trust. Um, and of course you have beneficiaries um, and you sometimes have sort of you know, things that you can um, do to still maintain the control over some of the investment decisions like a, a statement of wishes um etc but the main concept of an irrevocable trust is that you are putting away these assets into a trust you no longer have have uh, have access to it um and and of course the question is well why would someone do that right and 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 the reason being um that uh you know for both uh asset protection purposes right because if you put something in a trust and it's no longer yours then if somebody tries to sue you and they can't sue you for those assets because they're not yours anymore, right? So um, that uh, estate planning um, and, and succession planning are, are some of the reasons, as well as just you know, again, if you do have heirs and you want to, you know, again, you want to sort of control when they when they have access to money, et cetera. Um, that's that's the advantage of an of an irrevocable trust, um, and so that's why we do that a lot more than revocable trusts. Uh, revocable trust you do sort of still have access to your assets and it's not as um it's not as key i mean revocable trusts are still good for for things like probate um etc but a lot of times you know if someone's going to do a trust um uh, we recommend doing the irrevocable trust just because of the 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 advantages of of of, of asset protection and estate planning by by putting assets in that trust um and you know, we do that a lot in uh, in the Cook Islands, uh, Belize, uh, you know, Nevis. These are all sort of the um, you know the standard countries where uh, where there's very strong uh, asset protection laws. Right. No, I think it's I think that's great, and and it's all about owning nothing but controlling everything. And I think totally. that when you when you talk about trusts like this, I think that's a key key consideration. And it really does make a lot of sense, especially if you care about where your wealth goes after you might, you know, die. Um, you know, do you want that going into the hands of irresponsible people uh, like like governments and, and, and certain states and so forth? Or do you really want that making sure that it goes to the right people in a protected fashion? So I think that's key. Now, Jerry, are there any comments on trust in general? And if you were to use one, where would you where would you hang your hat internationally? Or would you also can you recommend maybe a U.S. domestic setup if you feel like that's credible? Well, there's a, a, a variety of uh, different trusts that are, that are available. Um, the the big uh, 35,000 foot level obviously is revocable versus irrevocable. Uh, the ones that I see my clients use as far as the irrevocable, a lot of them are around charitable giving. And uh, they'll take and they there is uh, charitable remainder unit trusts and charitable remainder annuity trusts and charitable lead annuity trusts. You know, um, ways that you can take and get a charitable deduction currently 
And uh, some of them provide an income stream. Some of them don't. Some of them you can name the beneficiaries on the backside. Well, the current cash goes to the charities. Um, I see a lot of those type of, of things. Um, and, and those are all irrevocable and out of your estate. Um, another one that I see a lot is an islet, which is an insurance, uh, uh, an irrevocable insurance trust where they'll put an insurance policy in there and then basically gift the premiums to their kids or whoever the beneficiaries are. Um, and uh, so that there's cash available on the backside to pay estate taxes if there are any or um, to just get some liquidity to kids upon death. Uh, so I, I see a lot of those type of, of trusts. Um, I, I think the important thing there, whether they are international or, or within the U.S., is, is once again making sure that it is set up uh, in the method that you really want it to be. And, and that makes that decision, whether it's revocable or irrevocable. Um, the, the revocable is really just a, uh, a way to avoid probate. Um, and, uh, and there's some complications with, with all of those things. Um, but certainly there's some huge benefits, uh, if they fit into your overall package. Well, gentlemen, we're about uh, just under an hour and 10 minutes in, uh, and we're getting close to wrapping up. Appreciate you guys taking the time. Now, I want to touch on second passports for a moment. Uh, Vincenzo, question to you. What two jurisdictions do you like for second passports? And can you give the audience uh, highlights on why? Uh, maybe the approximate cost, just ballpark, and maybe how long it would take to obtain? Sure. Um Second passports, is, there's a real range um, as far as costs and, and, and time and, and commitment. Um, you know, so one one country that we see a lot of second passports is Panama, uh, just because it's very easy to get permanent residency uh, via the Friendly Nations visa. Um, you know, you only have to go there one day a year to sort of maintain that permanent residency. And I believe it's after five years you can uh, you can apply for a passport. Um, you know, the, the Caribbean, um, countries have a lot of passports, um, you know, for sale via investments. Um, so you have, uh, St. Kitts, uh, Granada. Um, I believe those, those countries offer, uh, visa-free travel to Europe. Um, so, you know, by, by investing several hundred thousand dollars, you can, you can get one of those passports, um, either via real estate or just sort of a contribution. Um, and we do see a lot of residency in, 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 in Georgia, um, the, the Republic of Georgia, of course, that would, uh, that would lead to a second passport, um, within Europe, um, there is a program in, in Portugal, um, called the golden visa program, um, where you can invest $500,000 in a piece of real estate. That would give you permanent residency that would could lead to a passport. Um, you know, there's also similar programs in Malta and Bulgaria that, uh, but those are higher tags. I mean, they're they're upwards of a million dollars um, that uh, that, you, that that could lead to a second passport. So it really sort of depends on um, on what you're trying to to accomplish or, or what's important as far as uh, visas, etc. I mean, there's also a lot of passports by. Uh, by bloodline, right? I mean, you know, Italy, Ireland, Poland. I mean, these are all passports that if you have a, a great grandparent 
that uh, is from one of these countries, you can, uh, you know, you have to obviously go and, 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 and trace your heritage a bit. But uh, but you could apply for these passports and get them. And of course, you know, there is no sort of uh, investment. So, um, you know, obviously, yeah, it depends on, on what you're trying to do. And of course, what you're trying to either invest or spend. But um, but you yeah, have second passports have really, um, you know, been a, a a big thing, you know, as we look to internationalize as sort of the world comes to a, you know, this globalization movement, if you will, and and, and trying to. Uh, to, to diversify your citizenship. Right, absolutely. Now, I think you made a lot of fine points there, and, and it really is a key part of a, of a backup plan and, and having access to other places. Um, and then also, of course, you know, um, it just makes makes a lot of sense because it leaves you with a lot of optionality and kind of peace of mind, uh, at least in my view. And probably going back to Panama there, Panama is probably one of the more affordable options if you have if you have some time uh, to wait, you know, five five years or whatever it might be, and, and you can demonstrate uh, some association, uh, that one can make sense is certainly more affordable. The the, the bloodline heritage is, is also a fantastic option. And if you're on the upper scale and you have some some capital to throw around, there's some also some even easier options that come with a higher expense. Uh, well, gentlemen, I, I appreciate the, the conversation here. Now, I want to move on to just uh, some finalized uh, topics here. Um, I want to ask you about your direct experience with tax authorities and what issues you've handled for past clients. Jerry, let's start with you. Uh, what do you bring to the table there with relation to dealing with tax agencies? Well, the you know, obviously we with them, boy, it seems like it's daily. It's probably not that often. Uh, the number one thing I find is it depends on who answers the phone. And, you know, if you get that tax agent that answers the phone and boy, he just got married and has a new car and, and the house is brand new, you're going to be able to work with that guy and get almost anything solved. And, and uh, you take and you get somebody that's not only had a bad day, but the car's wrecked and the house is on fire and the dog ran away. Guess what? you are not going to have any luck at all with that individual. And, and unfortunately it'll get kicked up the ladder and whatever that first uh, initial blush is from whoever the agent is, is, is going to carry a lot of weight. So uh, a lot of it's just a random deal when you're working with the taxing agencies. Um, you know, the, the documentation is huge. Uh, when you can take and provide uh, documents that back up what you say, um, people don't realize that when you talk to the IRS, all of that is, is documented by them. So a lot of times I'll go back and, Hey, I talked to this agent, always get a name and a badge number, um, and, uh, be able to double back with them and say, Hey, I talked to this guy. This is what I was told. Um, it's, uh, a lot of it is just patience and, um, you know, uh, and, and having the documentation to be able to back it up, um, it's it's painful for people. There's no question about it. You're on the phone for 45 minutes or an hour before you talk to somebody. Um, I had somebody, uh, one of the agents the other day that that's put me on hold and then came back and said, well, I looked through the publication. Boy, I can do that online, guy. That's not what I was looking for, you know. And, and uh, so a lot of patience has to be involved in stuff. And, and uh, just because they say that you are wrong uh, doesn't mean you are. And uh, so make sure that make sure you have your facts and your documentations and, and be patient. That's that would be my keys. Vincenzo, your experience with some of the key tax agencies and some of the matters you've handled. 
Yeah, I think I think Jerry's right. It's a real pleasure to deal with the IRS. <laughs> um, it's just you know, it it really does depend on the person. Um, it, yeah, and 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 I think that you know what I notice is that you know you have a lot of clients that um, you know people really get freaked out because you know you get a very uh, very scary letter um, you know in the mail from the IRS and uh, you know with threats and and, and we're going to seize property and whatnot. And what they have to understand is a you know, it's a little bit of a process. B, these letters are sort of automatically computer generated. And um, and it really, you know, sometimes takes a while to, 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 to resolve this stuff. I mean, you know, I had uh, one client that, um, you know, he didn't file or there was an issue uh, with filing uh, several uh, 5471s for foreign companies, you know, and he had a $140,000 fine uh, pending. And you know, we just had to kick it off the ladder, right? It just kept on being passed around the IRS and 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 and, and whatnot. And then ultimately, you know what? I, I just found a really reasonable person and explained to her the situation and she she uh, eliminated the the fine on the spot, right? You know, and, and, and so you know, there's a certain level of patience uh when dealing with the IRS, um, you know, given the fact that it listen, it is a government agency, there is a lot of bureaucracy. Um, and you know, if, 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 if one person doesn't work literally, if you can, then, then just try, try again. Right. And, 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 and I think that, you know, people just need to understand that, uh, when dealing with it and, um, yeah, having, having the appropriate documentation, having, you know, everything, uh, sort of readily available and, and, and really making it, uh, you know, just easy for the person, right. I mean, make it easy for the agents to do their job. Um, because if you have that and you're organized and you're succinct and precise and you're really, really nice and pleasant with them, it really, it really does go a long way to, you know, getting what you want out of it and, and, and for your client. I think those are all fantastic points. I appreciate you guys adding those insights. Um, Jerry, uh, tell the audience who might seek your services, how can they contact you? What services would you like to highlight for your firm that they should consider and what the audience can expect just for a ballpark figure of, of costs, uh, assuming uh, intermediate level situation, and if there are any consulting offers coming from your firm? Yeah, you know, kind of ran through the list earlier of, of what we do and, and kind of um, the size of the firm and that kind of stuff. We, you know, the bulk of our work is around taxes and, and we do a, a large variety of those. Um, I've got a great staff that has uh, quite a bit of longevity with me, which, which makes things a lot easier. Um, you know, uh, but mainly our, ours is around tax filings and, and entities and individuals uh, do a number of trusts and estates and those types of things, the filings that are required. Oregon still has a million dollar uh, state uh, limit before it gets taxed. A lot of states do not have any estate taxes anymore. Um, so, of course, we're behind the curve, but it goes back to they think they need more money. So we do file a number of estate returns every year. Um, the the bookkeeping and payroll kind of keeps the lights on the rest of the year and and also put, uh, provides a great service to our business clients um kind of makes it a, a a one stop place for a lot of their needs uh what i try to tell my clients is that we're a resource to them um we don't try to to fit them into what we do uh we try to provide them anything from uh clients i've been in this 35 years and and there's some clients believe it or not that i've 
never met. Um, we've done over the phone, we've done through the mail, and and I've just never met them in person. Uh, there's other clients that we do everything uh, almost uh, within range of what they do for their businesses. We, you know, um, so there's a great variety of things that we try to provide. There's certain things we don't do. We don't do audits. We don't do reviews. Um, those are things uh, that that just never interest me. And I think you do a better job with things that interest you. Uh, we don't do offering compromises. So if you owe the government money and are trying to wiggle your way out of it, I don't, you know, I don't do those kind of things. Um, you know, the majority of our clients just they, they're small business people, or they have a couple of rental properties. Uh, they're retirees that that don't want to go to TurboTax, and and they want to understand what's going on. So. Uh, so we handle a lot of those. We don't chase down the 20 or $30 million businesses. Um, that's really not our niche. That's not something that, that we like to do. We like to do the personalized type things. Um, you know, billing rates, uh, we bill 225 an hour is what we bill. Uh, and, and we bill on an hourly rate. We don't bill by forms. We don't bill by uh, anything else, but just how long it takes. So if you come in and you're organized and stuff, that's going to be a smaller bill than somebody that brings the proverbial shoebox, um, you know. So you can sort through it, or we can, uh, you know. Um, you've got uh, some information about uh, about how to get a hold of me. Um, our website is very good. It's got a, a bunch of information on it. It also has uh, contact uh, emails for uh, myself and my employees, um, as well as our phone number and and everything. So uh, that's kind of how how you can get a hold of us um, and kind of, you know, kind of in a nutshell what we try to do for our clients. Okay. Well, Jerry, I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. Vincenzo, uh, how about uh, prospective clients? Uh, how can they reach out to you? What services do you want to highlight? And what maybe if you can share a little bit on costs, what you can expect for an intermediate level situation? And do you have any offers for the, for the audience? Sure. Um, our our focus is our focus is on um, you know generally like I said people with an international flavor and so if you you know are a U.S. expat or, or thinking about uh, moving abroad um, if you're thinking about investing abroad then we can we can assist in in the tax planning and the and the tax preparation um, so again I mean whether it's tax protection or whether it's uh, you know sort of um, you know, if you're an online entrepreneur um, and, you know, you want to move abroad and, and qualify for the foreigner income exclusion of $105,000 um, and, you know, potentially set up a, a company in, in another jurisdiction and get sort of an effective tax rate of 10.5% and and, 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 and and optimize your situation, then this is the sort of structuring work that we do. Um, and then, of course, the the, the subsequent um tax preparation um so yeah i mean i think that's uh that's our our, our specialty and, and 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 our differentiator um is being able to um you know to help people um with uh with these sort of situations uh, generally from a from a billing, from a billing perspective um we bill um for the tax return on on a fixed fee basis based on the on the on the on the, on, the, on the forms and, and and just the 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 complexity of the return um so how it works is for people that are um looking for for tax return prep 
We do offer a 30-minute free consultation. You can go to the website, onlinetaxman.com, and sign up for a free consultation or reach out to me via email. Um, and in that consultation, you get to know us. Uh, we get to know you. And by that, I mean we ask you questions to really assess the complexity of your return and, and give you a fixed, uh, fixed free consultation. Um, if you want to go a little of a deep dive and, and go into the foreign structuring aspects um, and, 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 and the, the complexity of that, that is actually a paid consultation. That's done through Global Expat Advisors. Um, those consultations are $200 for a half hour, $300 for an hour. Um, and that will, which is a credit, uh, which is a credit to your, to, to any future engagements. Um, and that would be, you know, again, for, for the more complex structuring uh, engagements. And that would be with me personally. Uh, whereas I have a team working at an online tax man. So um, if, uh, if anyone has any questions, obviously, and on the international side, then like I said, they can reach me at onlinetaxman.com. Um, and uh, we'd be happy to have Okay, well, appreciate the, the comments on that and the information. Jerry, are there any parting comments? No, I'd just like to, to thank both of you for, uh, you know, um, putting this together and, and the exchange of ideas. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully people will understand that uh, there are great opportunities out there, uh, but they need to do it the right way and with the right people. And uh, if you're if you're willing to do a little digging and stuff, uh, you can certainly go a long way in pres preservation of wealth. And Vincenzo, what do you have? Any final parting comments? Yeah, I mean, same. I think, uh, yeah, first off, I mean, it was great, uh, great, great, great to get on the phone with Jerry, another qualified professional, which is uh, always, always nice. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and Andrew, to you as well, just talking through this stuff. I mean, I think that, uh, um, you know, again, I think, you know, tax planning um, is really important as far as, you know, being able to save money and, and sort of when, when, when people look at small businesses and everyone's sort of looking at, you know, getting their revenue numbers up and all that sort of stuff. But sometimes, um, you know, it's best to play defense, right? And, and, and see what you could save. Um, and, and taxes is, is certainly one area that, uh, that you could save, um, you know, both uh, domestically or, you know, by moving abroad and sort of internationalizing your business. So it's, it's something that everyone, um, you know, really should be thinking about. And sometimes people don't think about it enough because they're just, you know, scared of the government or the IRS, or maybe that's not their forte, if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think it's uh, it's really good to to think about this. And, and now, Andrew, you had some great questions to sort of facilitate this discussion today. So it's happy to be a part of it. Absolutely. And we covered a lot of a lot of ground and a, and a lot of stuff in a short period of time. Well, to our audience, thank you for spending the time with us. Uh, if you aren't a Smith Weekly member and have joined us for the first time on this event, please make sure you check out check us out on our website, smithweekly.com, and also via Twitter, at smithweekly. Please reach out with any questions and feedback. If you've determined that we've delivered some value to you, we always appreciate donations to support our research. The link for donations is shown on the screen. Let's leave it there. Uh, I encourage the audience who are, who are in the market for these types of services covered in this event to reach out with both of you gentlemen uh, for an interview, uh, have a consultation, and see for yourself if they can assist you with planning out a beyond-borders strategy. 
This was an insightful discussion and attempt to lay out many issues and complexities that we all face regarding finance and long-term wealth sustainability. While much of these discussions were centered around U.S. people, many of the concepts and strategies do apply from people from Europe, Canada, Australia, and elsewhere. So you should consider these equivalent situations. Again, gentlemen, thank you for taking the time to share your insights and experience with us. I want to wish both of you well with your businesses and assisting clients to obtain these objectives. On behalf of our guests and Smith Weekly, good luck with your strategic planning and best of luck navigating beyond borders. Thank you.